Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is you're watching this video. I hope you had a great long weekend and enjoyed uh, Zach's sermon last week uh, while I was away. And so we're starting a new series called The Set Time. Today we're looking at Jesus at the right hand of God. So you can open your Bibles to read Acts chapter 1, 1 to 11. We'll get there in a minute. And for the summer, uh, we're, our, our sermons are going to be a little bit different, uh, the recording of them. Sometimes we'll be in studio like we are now um, on a Wednesday or Thursday, and other times because of holidays and scheduling, we will be having our sermons recorded live Sunday morning, and on those Sundays, they won't be available till about one o'clock or so Sunday afternoon. So if you go to our website, we'll let you know uh, if it's not going to be available, you know, right away in the morning. And uh, we'd love you to come live if you can, if you're in Chilliwack. Um, we're in our gym for the summer. As you maybe know, we're doing a fairly large renovation in our sanctuary of, uh, of things. And so we're in the gym starting May 29th. And um, there's coffee, there's uh, air conditioning, and a pretty relaxed feel as we're in the gym for the, for the summer until the end of the renovation. So here we go. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And um, I want to read it in the NIV. So here's Luke. He's written the book of Luke to a fellow named Theophilus, and it's what he has to say. In my former book, Theophilus, that's the gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So I'll make a comment here. This is the, the incarnation or the, the time that Jesus came as a human being. He's born of the Virgin Mary. And uh, this, is the, this is kind of time number one, so to speak. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to the disciples and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. The resurrection was true. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And it's actually a lot in John chapter 15 and 16. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, a very important time coming up, a set time. That's why I'm calling the series The Set Time. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So there's two other set times spoken about here. Remember, the first one was when he came as born of a woman. Second time, it talks about this importance of the ascension, which I'm talking about today. And then we have what we know, and I'll talk about this next week, is when the Holy Spirit comes, and that's Pentecost. But then he also is going to talk about the end time and what that's about. So that's what our series is going to be digging into. It says, they were looking intently up into the sky as Jesus was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So there, it's the return of Christ, the second advent. And so they're admonished here not to keep looking up into the sky. You know, maybe they're expecting to come down right away and establish the kingdom. We're not sure. So let's, let's dig into this. Do you remember the good old days? Do you think of sometimes the good old days, the good old times, you know, remember when? Uh, there's lots of songs about time. There's a great song that I love by the band called Green Day, and it says, I hope you had the time of your life. Famous Beatles song, Yesterday. And the, the thesis here is, I liked yesterday more than today, and don't even want to think about tomorrow. Yesterday is when I had the good times. My favorite brass band, Chicago, wrote a song. Does anybody really know what time it is? Basically saying, should we care? Does it matter? Should we care about the concept of time? Maybe another famous song for you might be Jim Crochet, Time in a Bottle. Cindy Lauper, if you're from that era, sang a song called Time After Time. Otis Redding had a great song, Sitting at the Dock of the Bay, doing what? Wasting time. Time is very um, important to us, obviously, and there's a lot of good songs written about it, and movies. Christopher Nolan, a movie producer, uh, directed and produced these two movies, Memento and Interstellar. He, he's, he's kind of obsessed with time. He says, time is a grim reminder of our mortality and the final frontier that no living thing can overcome. He says, I'm fascinated by the notion that we all feel the passage of time to be unfair to us, and yet we are all aging at exactly the same rate. Nolan says that the medium of film is the sole method for we humble humans to experience time differently. So that's what he does in his movies. In everyday life, Time goes forward, and there's very little anyone can do about that. But according to Nolan, the camera lets audience experience seeing time backwards, slowed down, sped up. Film audiences could sit in a theater for two hours of time and experience events over periods of hours and days or years or decades and go back and forth with it. So time is very interesting. So what do we know about this idea of time? Well, time came into existence at the creation of the world. Time is not timeless. It had a beginning. Time, space, and energy came into existence, as we read in Genesis 1. Boom, God spoke, it came into existence. There once was nothing, and now there is space, energy, mass, and time. So time began at creation, and it becomes the agency through which God continues to reveal his design purpose for, for us. He uses time. Time, the idea of time. So when you and I go to the oceans and experience tides and sunrises and sunsets, we're experiencing time. When we're stuck in traffic, we're experiencing time. When the seasons change, the nights grow shorter, you are experiencing time. As you experience getting older, you are experiencing time. Time is very important. It's what we live in. God reveals himself in history according to the times and dates he has set by his own authority, Acts chapter 1, 7. And he will bring about in his own time the end of the old earth and the old heaven at Jesus' return. So we've got this idea of time and God works in time. And God will start the new earth, the new heaven, and a whole new concept of time as we live in eternity. That is kind of hard to figure out. God says he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one who is who was and is to come. He's the king of the ages. 
It further points out he is Lord over time. He's in charge of it. He oversees it. He created it. He sustains it. And so the New Testament then also presents Jesus as Lord over time. With the Father, Jesus existed prior to the beginning of time. It says The Bible says Jesus created all things and He sustains all things, which means He keeps things going. Jesus is not limited by time nor adversely affected by it. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And in contrast to God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, humanity, us, we are limited by time. We have a cycle of birth, life, and death. We are not Lord over time. We are subject to it. It is Lord over us. Every person bears the marks of time in the aging process and ultimately dies. The span of life is brief and passing, the Bible says. It's a breath. It's a fleeting shadow. It's a mist. But for us, chronological time is, the greatest, is of great importance. That's how we live. And this is where God works in chronological time in these events. And there's just four of them mentioned here in Acts chapter 1. So we, Zach talked last week about this time of deliverance from Egypt for the Jewish people. That was a certain point in time. Then we come to the New Testament, and it's Jesus' birth, his, his death and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and then returning at a set time. These are divine break-ins, <laughs> and God works within time and brings his will and purpose and value to this. The Bible unanimously declares that now is the time of salvation. It's not a, not a chronological time. In the New Testament, Jesus is coming as the Messiah inaugurated the year of the Lord's favor, and we are still in that year. The time interval between the incarnation, Jesus at Bethlehem, and the second coming talks about it. it's a jubilee year, and we're in that. It's a time when salvation has been made available to all people through God's saving work in Jesus. Today is the time of God's favor, it says in 2 Corinthians 6.2. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed season to declare this divine mystery hidden from past ages, he talks about. Now is the time. So the present time in the Bible holds a sense of urgency. God commands all people to repent. Believers are encouraged to make the most of every opportunity in serving God. Make good use of your time to mature in your faith. Today is called today, and so get going with it. And of course, we're mostly interested in the end times for many people. The end time period surrounding Jesus' second coming is variously called, it's got many names, the last times, the last hour, the last days, the day of the Lord. Day of judgment, day of God's wrath, time of punishment, end of the ages, end of all things. That's still to come, that time. The temporal finality of these expressions highlight the firm New Testament belief that the present course of history will come to an end when Jesus returns. The certainty of the first advent, Jesus coming at Bethlehem, guarantees the certainty of the second, his return. You know, we're really interested of when the end times will start. You know, it's just the end times. You know, COVID comes and disasters and war in the Ukraine. Must be the start of the end times. Well, no, folks, the end times have started. <laughs> the end times started when Christ came, when he appeared. And Peter used this as idea in Joel, in Acts chapter 217. We'll get to that next week. It's kind of the, this is the end times. And the proof is the spirit has come on to people. The end is near. <laughs> 
but we're not yet there. But we're one day closer than yesterday. That's what we know about the set time of when Jesus will come back. So let's dig into this word time a bit. It's a common word in the Old Testament. It appears 296 times, and it usually refers to particular moments or segments of time associated with events. Time of somebody's death, the time of the wheat harvest. But it's also used to denote a few things. The proper time for various activities. A time to be born. This is out of uh, Ecclesiastes. A time to be born, a time to die. Also a time to seek the Lord. So it doesn't mean like a one minute, two minutes. It's just, it's just right now. Periods defined by a condition. There's another way to look at it. This is a time of peace or a time of trouble. Or we think of chronological time. I'll meet you here this time tomorrow. So time sometimes means 24 hours, but it mostly has the sense of a passage of time, a moment. And the New Testament has some interesting words for time. Kairos is, uh, is one of them. It's usually qualitative, referring to an appointed time or an opportune time. If you remember the movie Apollo 13, we're sitting there in Houston Control and Ed Harris says, this will be our finest hour, our finest time as we bring, bring these astronauts back to Earth. Now is the time to worship. Today is the time to encourage, bless. This is what we think of in time. Also the word chronos, it's, as it sounds, chronological. What time is it? It's 3.30. Time flies or it seems slow. That's the chronos idea of time. Then the Bible uses the word day. And in the New Testament, day can refer to an entire 24-hour period. But in continuity with the Old Testament, it doesn't mean just 24 hours. We talk about the day of the Lord. The term day is used widely in the New Testament in reference to the future day of judgment and salvation. It's not a 24-hour period. Galatians 4.4 says, When the time had fully come, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the full rights as sons and daughters, be adopted into the kingdom. 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So that's what it means. He was brought to earth the first time. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. That's my first coming to the earth. I have come not to say, call the righteous, but sinners. That's why I'm here. In John 2.4, Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? As, he's, as Mary tries to get him to do some things. He says, my hour has not yet come. This, it's not the set time for me to do what you think I should do. John 7, 30, it says at this, they tried to seize him, but because of what he said, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. John 8, 20, Jesus spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him. They were after him all the time, but they couldn't seize him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. The kairos was not there. The, John 12, 23, Jesus replied, The hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour is now here. John 12, 27, Now my soul is troubled. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very hour I came to this earth. John 17, 1, after Jesus said this, He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Not the 60 minutes, the opportune time. Glorify your son. My hour has arrived. So Jesus came with a, in a set time and he died at a set time. And he told his disciples, let's go. It's time. Up and at him. 
So then we arrive at this Ascension Day, and that was actually Thursday, May 26th. And many of us maybe haven't heard or celebrated Ascension Day, but we need to. After the resurrection, Jesus taught his disciples about God's kingdom for 40 days, we read. And then he was taken up to heaven, ascended. It's the taken up day. Matthew 26, 64 says, I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Mark 16, 19, Jesus said, I am going to be taken up into heaven and I will sit at the right hand of God. Luke 22, 69, from now on, the Son of Man, that's me, Jesus speaking, will be seated at the right hand of the Mighty God. This is why they wanted him killed, why he wanted to seize him, because no human can say this kind of thing. Acts 2.33, Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. We'll get to that next week. Acts 5.31, God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as Prince and Savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. It's important that he ascended and is at the right hand of God. Interesting, Acts 7.55. Stephen, as he's getting stoned, he gets full of, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He looks up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Acts 7.56, he says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This infuriated the Jewish leaders. Paul says in Romans 8.34, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died, and more than that, he was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Folks, it's very important that we understand the importance of Jesus' ascension. Ephesians 1.20, he exerted himself when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's where Jesus is right now. Colossians 3.1, since then, You and I have been raised with Christ. We need to set our hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Folks, it's very important we get this, that Jesus is at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After Jesus provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. One more for us, Hebrews 8.1. We have a great high priest who understands us. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. Hebrews 12.2, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's important. He ascended and is at the right hand of God. We wouldn't be here today talking like this if he had done that. Jesus is at the right hand of God. What does that mean for us? Let's dig into this a bit. So to speak of someone's right hand is to speak of their power. To sit at someone's right hand is to sit in the place of honor. This is where Jesus is. He's in the place of power. And that's what he said, I'm going to go and sit at the right hand of God and I will send the Holy Spirit. He, wouldn't be, he couldn't have sent the Holy Spirit if he was still on earth. And you and I will be placed at his right side one day. The ascended Jesus continues to operate here on earth through his spirit-filled people. He sent his spirit. We have the confident assurance that the Jesus who hung on the cross is not dead and buried, but raised, not walking the earth anymore, 
but he's at the right hand of God. He conquered sin and death. In the face of possible doubts and disappointments among his readers, Luke insists that the ascension of Christ is a guarantee that the end will come and all God's purposes will be fulfilled. The, ascents, the ascension of Jesus being at the right hand of God is so important. But here we have the disciples asking a question. Are we there yet? Has the set time arrived? They've taken a three-year road trip with Jesus through all kinds of detours and potholes and to their minds. Not very clear signage. And they're asking, is it done yet? Is the set time now to restore us back to some political freedom? Are we there yet? Maybe they're not whining out of total boredom, but out of impatience and looking forward to the good life of peace and tranquility and freedom. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they're thinking, are we there yet? Or is this the time to restore things the way they should be? Have we reached our destination, is their question. <laughs> is it over? What does the restored Israel even look like? And they want to know. And we ask the same question today. Is this it? Is it fine? I get asked that a lot as a pastor. Is this the end times, Gary? You know, is, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? You know, I get all kinds of questions about this. People are interested. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And I think Jesus' answer to us today to this question is the same it is to, to them. It's not for us to know times or dates. These are dates, times that the Father has fixed and set by his own authority. It is the set time. And who knows when? No one except the Father. No one. Don't think anyone on this earth knows. Don't buy their book. They don't know. Can we stop asking the question? And can we stop trying to answer the question? Is this the time you're going to come back? Jesus said, it's not for you to know. The disciples seemed okay with the answer. Because once Pentecost hit, which we'll get to next week, it all started to make sense. These first century Christians went about the master's business, as we read in the book of Acts, every day. And they saw, now is the time of salvation for the world. It's not just my personal salvation into freedom. It's about the whole world. They were becoming a part of the restoration. They didn't sit back. They went out into the world. And we'll talk more about this next week with the Holy Spirit. They anticipated the day when God will bring judgment and bring complete restoration to the heavens and the earth. But in the meantime... They didn't speculate or waste time and resources and looking at the red moons and the star formations and events in the United States and in Europe and in Russia and see this as proof or in the end time. They just went about the master's business, decided, you know, God has set a time, we're never going to know. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the last days. You don't need to buy the latest end times book to know this. They lived, as Zach said last week, to love each other. They sold possessions and gave to the poor. They gave food and clothing and shelter and water and visited and were generous. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses all over the world. Obviously speaking long term. <laughs> the fact that Jesus was coming back caused them to work hard for the king. Even give their very lives as martyrs. They knew that their work was never in vain because Jesus was ascended at the right hand of God. They did not spend their time trying to interpret the times, but were led by the Spirit to establish churches throughout Europe. And this was all possible because Jesus was taken up. He ascended 
at this set time. And from there, at the ascension, at the right hand of God, he sent his Holy Spirit down. The disciples didn't understand this at the time. Again, they wanted to know, what time is it? <laughs> is it party time? Is it political freedom time? This question of restoration had a practical implication for them. They wanted to rule with Jesus in his kingdom. They wanted to have power and honor. The mother of James and John had asked Jesus this very question. Could my boys rule with you at that set time? One on the right hand and one on the left. They thought Jesus at this set time should establish a Jewish political state. He says, no, you're going to get a different kind of power. It's going to be power to be my witnesses. Not power to rule over or to have all your own personal freedoms. No, it's going to be power not to rule, but to endure persecution, jail, hatred, mocking, beatings, death of friends and relatives, houses being taken away, possessions taken away. This is the kind of power I'm talking about. The same kind of power he had when he faced trials and adversity and death. Jesus was probably not surprised by the question. He had heard it before. And so he lovingly says, it's not for you to know, but you're going to get some power. Don't worry about it. <laughs> now, Paul was present at the Stephen's stoning, and he heard Stephen speak what I read before in Acts, that Stephen has this vision of seeing Jesus at the right hand of God. And that infuriated Paul at the time. He was a Pharisee. He, didn't, he was not a follower of Jesus, but now he becomes a follower of Jesus, you read later, later in Acts, and he talks about this. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Jesus is at the right hand of God. He is ascended. And from there, power comes to the church. In John's farewell discourse, in John chapters 14 to 16, the Lord speaks of the need for him to ascend, to return to the Father, so that the Spirit would come and abide with his people to comfort and to counsel. So as we read here in Acts chapter 1, 1 to 11, they're just to wait. Jesus ascends and they wait. They wait for the Holy Spirit to get power. Not the kind of power they're thinking about, but a gifting and an outpouring. An outpouring of the Spirit to change the world. So how seriously do we take the ascension? The ascension, Jesus going to the right hand of the Father, did not lead the early church to escape the world but to live with their feet firmly hitting the ground, running toward the mission he gave them. Go into all the world and make disciples. See, they thought maybe Jesus would stick around and restore Israel. But no. He says, I'm going, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So that's why they asked the question, Lord, you died and you rose again, and now you're here with us for 40 days. Is this now the time to restore the kingdom? He says, no, it's not. It's not. The Father knows the set time He has for that to happen, and it will happen. It hasn't happened yet, the end times. But He says, I got, we got stuff to do, boys and girls. We got stuff to do. I think Christians have brought more skepticism on the Bible and the Christian faith by trying so hard, trying so hard to prove the truth of the Bible with the latest natural disaster or man-made disaster or how this event shows some kind of proof from the book of Revelation. Do we need to prove the truth of Jesus? No, let's do it in our, with our lives. 
We don't need to go how many verses in Daniel and Revelation are coming true today through a pandemic that we have. Every generation has spent time on this. <laughs> Let's get into the work of the kingdom. Let's love, love, love. So it seems the disciples were okay with this answer once the Holy Spirit came. They went about the master's business. They saw every day as an opportune time to be involved with God and bringing God's kingdom on earth. We want to restore this earth. Let's get it going now. They were a part of this restoration and they did not sit back and anticipate the day when God will bring judgment and bring complete restoration to the heavens and the earth. They sold their possessions. They were involved in food and clothing and shelter and water, as I said before. They did stuff. They didn't just look up into the sky and wait for Jesus to return. So if we're claiming to follow Jesus, let's get about the Father's business here. Of what it means to have the power to be his witnesses in our world. Let's remember the gospel. Let's remember the gospel that Jesus died while we're still sinners. He took the punishment for our sin. Jesus took it. The gospel is Jesus having all of our sins laid on him. Laid on him. This is the good news that we bring to people. We can know God personally we, because there is a set time for us. And today is the set time of salvation. So let's put it to rest. Let's do the work of the kingdom instead of spending time and money speculating and theorizing on the end times. Jesus did say the church will be perpetually besieged by false end time teachers. <laughs> That's true. And their influence, though, will be subtle that we need to be in constant awareness of proper teaching. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's, it's not about speculation. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers. I was hungry and you fed me. This is what we should be doing when it looks like the end is near. Love, care. And next week we'll talk about receiving this power. Again, it's not a power to rule over, to know the end or to have all the freedom we think we need, but it's power, power to endure, power to keep going, power to know that everything we do is not in vain. There's rewards coming. We are living in this great time period right now, keros, time, when the kingdom of God is showing itself on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a beautiful time to be alive. Not to speculate about when he's coming back, but just be involved. Be involved in what your church is doing, what Jesus is doing in your church and raising up kids and teenagers and young adults in all ages to know Jesus. This is happening now. This is to be our finest hour as a church. The ascension has happened and we are in our finest hour. The ascension completes Jesus' earthly mission. It signifies his enthronement as our heavenly king. Jesus has completed his father's mission. He now rules with all authority and intercedes for us with all sympathy as our mediator and high priest. He is with us always as we go and do this. So we need to live generously, people. I need to live generously, boldly, confidently, as servants of the exalted King of heaven. Our labor in the Lord Jesus is not in vain. Why? Because he is on the right hand of God. And let's take heart that Jesus knows about our struggles. He has endured great suffering. He is a sympathetic and merciful counselor and mediator. 
Let's take our cares to the ascended Lord. He hears our prayers. He intercedes for us. He knows what it means to suffer. He understands the human condition, our human situations. And we can approach him, we can approach him boldly in our prayers. This is what the ascension of Jesus should do for us. It should lead us also to be his witnesses here on earth in a manner that we proclaim and demonstrate Jesus in word and in deed in a sacrificial love, advancing his kingdom. Ours is a hope that does not avoid the world and its struggles. Rather, we live in this world. The ascended Jesus continues to operate here on earth through us, his spirit-filled people. We have the confident assurance that the Jesus who hung on the cross is not dead and buried, but raised and seated at God's right hand. He has conquered sin and death. Our salvation is complete. He will come again to judge the living and the dead and make all things new. That's where we hang our hope. So let's keep working, doing the master's business. The Bible says Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's what he did. And he's appointed humans to die once, and after that comes judgment. Still coming. There's a set time for that. But in the meantime, what do we do? We go into all the world with the heart and the feet and the hands of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what we do. These are important words from Jesus. As Dak said last week, go read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's what we're to be about as we wait for Jesus to return. It's not for us to know the times or the dates the Father has set. He has a set time. The set time is for us to do what we can do as the ascended Jesus works in our hearts. We receive power. We receive power because Jesus ascended. We are living in a great opportune time. The kingdom is coming. It's coming up against the kingdom of the world. And we live in it, we conquer it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. See, during his earthly ministry, Jesus' work was geographically limited. He didn't teach in Ethiopia and also heal in China. Couldn't do it. He was in one place at one time. Was not omnipresent. But now, because he's ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, he's at work everywhere where his followers are. And this is because he's no longer physical on earth. He's at the right hand of God. You think the ascension means anything? It's everything here. The ascension is so important to understand who we pray to, why our prayers are answered, how the kingdom works here on earth. Jesus ruled with all authority. He intercedes for us with all sympathy. He's our high priest. He's the right hand of God. This is the set time right now. He is reigning as king. He remains active and engaged in our world and our lives. We need to live boldly and confidently. We need to know our labor in the Lord is not in vain because he is ascended and he is the right hand of God. So let's take heart. Jesus knows our struggles. He endured great suffering. And he will be with us as we ask for this power to be all that we need to be and want to be 
Let's take our cares to the ascended Lord who hears our prayers and he can respond with all heaven's authority. So this ascension of Christ, it's meaningful. We'll get into this a bit more next week, but the first reason it's so meaningful to us here is there'd be no gift of the Holy Spirit if he did not ascend. He said in John 16, 7, I cannot send the Holy Spirit if I stay here. <laughs> Without the ascension, the church would have Jesus locally in one place. That's it. Second, the ascension means there's a human being in heaven who is, knows us, is with us, intercedes for us. That's what the ascension of Jesus means for us. It's beautiful. We need to get it. I need to understand this. That when I pray, it's to an ascended king on the throne. The cross and the empty tomb are at the very heart of the gospel message proclaimed by Jesus' followers throughout history. That's the gospel. But the ascension of Jesus is also of utmost importance to us. So next week, we're going to talk with the Holy Spirit. Because of the ascension of Jesus, he sends his Holy Spirit. His ascension, his rising to the presence of his Father is so significant, as we've talked about. It's better that I go. It's for your good. It's for your good because I will send the Holy Spirit. I will send the Holy Spirit and he'll be in you. That's next week. This kingdom of Jesus will not be destroyed. It will not pass away. According to Revelation 3.21, Jesus conquered and sat down with his Father on his throne where he receives unending praise. This is the Christian hope. This is the Christian confidence. Let's live in this confidence of knowing that the ascended Christ gives us power to be all that he wants us to be and all that we want to be. So have a good week. Think about this. Think about what it means that our Savior is at the right hand of God. All authority is given to him. And he said, and he gives us that authority through the Holy Spirit. So have a good week. Think on these things. Maybe like Zach said last week, read, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That tells you what we're to be about, kind of people we're to be, how we're set free. And so next week, we'll talk more about this idea of time. And we'll talk about the time of the Holy Spirit. Have a good week.